texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Each of us has only one past, but there are many futures. You see, you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. And when you do that, Christ changes your past. He wipes out all the sins of the past. I love that, uh, love that pre-teaching. I love the, the challenge of those three different people. You know, I want to take a moment and um, do something a little different. I want to share with you, if I could, my heart. Sit down here next to you guys. Um, I, I think it's important from um, time to time. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this week and before we get into the teaching... Because if, if you're a guest, you know, or, or you're still trying to decide whether or not you believe God's who he said he was, and then maybe you can kind of see a little bit behind the scenes. But if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, you're running after God, or maybe a part of the potential church family, I think it's important to know, you know, what this Temple Centurion thing is all about. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but um, Temple Centurions are those who are about expanding God's kingdom. There are two times a year when we challenge people to give beyond their regular giving. It's a Christmas time so that we can do the Christmas ministries with our greatest gift and it's with Temple Centurion which is a a year-long process but our goal is to expand the kingdom and when I say that we're going to talk a little bit about what the kingdom is but what I mean by that is to let people know about God's love a lot of people see God with a pointed finger, don't they? I, I saw what you did. You're in big trouble. I'm going to get you, you know, that God's just looking to zap us if we don't do everything perfect. And that's not the God of the Bible. We want him to know about his love. And the, the best way to do that is to expand, to expand into communities, to launch campuses, to start churches, to love on our teenagers and our, our children. Um, but not just his love. Also, I wrote down hope. Man, our world needs hope, don't you think? I mean, whether it's North Korea or whether it's the economy, I mean, there's just a lot to be afraid of. And yet as a Christ follower, one of the great advantages that we have is no matter what happens around us, we can have hope. And that's what we want the, the, the world to know or the world to see. And then the other thing I wrote down is happiness. Sometimes we think of it as joy, but really in the la- original languages, they're the same word, not just occasionally be happy, but but really be happy. Our mission, and I hope you've seen this, you know, written down or somewhere, but, but it's more than just something that goes on the wall. It's to partner, which is to do life together. One's too small a number for greatness, to be teammates, you might say, to partner with people, and I assume you're a people, not an alien, right? To do uh, life with each other, you know, you didn't come from uh, outer space somewhere, to partner with people in order to to reach, and here's the way we say it, our God potential. Now, I'm not talking about like the Mormons believe that you can become God. I mean that God created you on purpose to do something of significance. You didn't fall out of a tree. You didn't wash up on the shore. You might have been a surprise to your parents, but you weren't a surprise to God. He wants to do great things in your life. And everything we do here at Potential Church, we design with that in mind. The ladies' event on Friday, I've heard so many different conversations. How do we do that in such a way so that you as a woman become everything God's made you to be, whether it be a college student or a single lady or a mom or a wife or a business owner? All that we do is designed around that. But we don't just stop there because if we just stop there, that'd kind of be lonely, wouldn't it? I mean, selfish, kind of if it was just about me. 
right? If it was just about me reaching my potential, but we, we keep going in order to impact the world for good. And what is good? It's the gospel, the good news. Jesus came, he died, but death couldn't hold him. And on the third day, he resurrected. I mean, that's, I, I tell you, Stephen, myself, as your pastor, if you're a part of potential, or even if you're a guest, that's what we want for you. I mean, that's, that's what I, all week long when I'm preparing, that's what I, how do I either give knowledge or inspire or challenge people to not settle for less than I know God made them to be? And I don't always have the answer to that. But that's the challenge. It really is what our heart is. And when it comes to Temple Centurion, that's what we're trying to expand. That's what we want to, to go to new campuses and new churches. And, and, and I, I wrote down here, therefore, we challenge you to give generously above and beyond is the way we term it. And what we mean by that is above and beyond what you regularly give, above and beyond maybe what your what, what you're tithe, what you would normally tithe, although statistically only 2 to 3% of Christ followers in the whole country actually are obedient in that area. But my goal is really for you to be consistent because I think that's where discipline is formed. And it's always been Potential Church's biggest challenge. You know, we had a great offering at Easter, I think it was two hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. The next week, though, it was one hundred five, and the week after that, it was one hundred twenty. Now, our our budget is about one hundred fifty. That, that's what it takes to do all the campuses and and to do all the ministry that happens during the week. You know, um, and the thing is, is it just reveals the fact that that we're not consistent. We're not. We're not disciplined in that area of our lives. Now, Temple Centurion's a year-long challenge, encouragement. It goes usually from May to May. And we challenge you to be a Temple Centurion. And you've probably heard this phrase, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Right? Because we're all different seasons in life. Some of you are college students. Some of you are in your 60s. Some of you are in your 50s. Oh, that sounds old since I'm now 50. That's me. But, but we're at different places. And so that's the reason we kind of put these different levels in here is to challenge you to reach for the next level, to try to inspire you to, to not settle for doing what someone with less than you actually does. Now, this year, we're going to do something a little different. On the 20th and 21st is our, our big offering. I'm going to tell you why we do that. But our big offering is on the 20th and 21st. And... Um, we're going to give these things right here. I think there's a picture. Not me. Is it behind me in the middle? Can you put it on the sides? Yeah, there you go. Those, those mugs, we're going to give that out to everybody who gives $199, I think is it. Now, we're not the Girl Scouts. We're not trying to motivate you to give by giving you a, a mug, although the Girl Scouts cookies are really good. The, the, the goal is, is that when you, when you use that, you'll be reminded that you're a part of something, a part of something that's bigger than you. And when you see these stories that you hear throughout the year, you didn't just watch them happen. You were actually, you're a part of them. God used you to make them happen. Now, over the years, um, we have these levels, 500, which is what we call the silver level. That's how you become a temple centurion over, the, over that season, over that year. Uh, the next level is gold, which is $2,500 above and beyond our regular ties and offering. Platinum is $10,000 above. Diamond is $25,000 above. And you know, we don't, we don't have any millionaire gifts here. We, it's all of us doing what we can to see God do what he promises. Now, each year, it's a year-long process, right? Temple Centurion, but we have a big offering. We say like, man, give as much of as you can on that weekend. This weekend, this year, it's the 20th and 21st. Here's why we do that. Three reasons. First reason is maybe if you were around in 2008, you know that the markets uh, took a big hit and the banks got very restrictive. Uh, and we lost just on this property here at Cooper City, we lost $10 million in equity. It's a lot of money, $10 million. And, and so 
when the banks got restrictive, we didn't change anything, we didn't do anything, but they started to demand that at this time of the year, we have almost a million dollars of cash on hand. In other words, we have to show them where that much money is, is in the bank. And it's important because it impacts our interest rate and it impacts um, our ability to, to find you know, better financing. I wasn't here when we originally got the, when they got the loan for this with Bank of America, but that's one of the reasons is because it positions us to save money in order to do more ministry by meeting what the bank asks of us at the end of June. And so that big offering helps make that happen. The second reason is it helps us going into the summer. You may not be aware of this, but people aren't as committed to be at church in the summer. They go on vacation, which is awesome. It's just that they take two weeks before vacation to prepare for vacation and two weeks after to rest for vacation. So it's five weeks. People are gone the whole month of July or June or August. Like, where you been? Oh, I've been on vacation. For a month? Well, I had to get ready. Um, now, and most people, when they're not here, they don't give. Attendance goes down, and with that, giving goes down as well. And so that big offering, that cash influx, helps us to be able to get through the summer in the sense of doing ministry, and it allows us to begin the projects that we talk about, extending the vision, like the college over here. And we want to, again, some of the remodeling that needs to happen on the bottom floor in the student building, and even in this building. The... Um, to, to launch campuses as we're looking for property and, and new media, all those things, that influx of cash allows us to be able to begin some of those projects. So that's why every year we challenge you. And that's why that offering is so important. I want to leave before I, we get to the teaching, but I, I want to share a couple of scriptures with you that are, that are from my heart. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, this is Paul. He says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Pretty bold statement, isn't it? He says, follow, follow me as I follow Christ. Hebrews 13.7 says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith, that stepping out, that trusting of God. And then James the leader of the early church says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Well, why not, James? And this is the one that gets my attention. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. You know, that's why I spend somewhere between 15 and 40 hours each week on what I'm going to share with you in just a few moments. Because I know that if what I'm not telling you about marriage or parenting or money or salvation if it's not what the scripture really means, God says he holds me more accountable. And so I, I take that really, really serious. I want to challenge you to do what Paul did, said and what um, the writer of Hebrews said, is to follow me and Steph as we follow Christ, especially in this area of giving. It's, we're not perfect in a lot of ways, but this is an area that I'm proud of. It's not something I just talk about as I'm sitting here. If you were here several years ago when we did Greatest um, Gift, Steph and I went to our retirement and we took out $10,000 to, to give and be a part of that. We gave a dollar to everybody to then multiply it. Um, it was a cool series. A few years ago, there was a pastor who got kicked out of Cuba. His whole family did. He came over here and he needed a job. And of course to have a job you need a car and his wife needed a job and so they needed a vehicle to get the kids to school and for them to find um, just uh, any job really and so when Steph and I heard that God just kind of nudged our heart and we took um, what at the time was my dream car my 1980s you know uh, car I wanted when I was in high school and we traded it in they gave us I think a, around $25,000 so that we could get that pastor a car and if you were here you know that the church gave it to him this year as Steph and I have prayed about what to give to Temple Centurion we're going to give um, above and beyond our regular giving our tithes and offering we're going to give $12,000 uh, in the offering May the 20th and 21st now that's not because we're wealthy as soon as we give that offering we'll start saving for greatest gift 
which is like, you know, six, seven months away. Because I really believe this stuff. I don't know if you do. I mean, you, I encourage you to at least look in to does God care about this? Because there are some blessings there. But I do challenge you to, uh, to follow us as we follow Christ. Be generous. Wrestle with it. Ask yourself, what does God really want you to do? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be pastor at Potential Church. Step and I are humbled by the opportunity to speak into these folks' lives. And I pray, I, I pray that we would be transformed to what you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pull out that outline you got, all right? Oh, man, you get old, it's hard to get up from the floor. I, I was studying for this weekend, and I noticed something, all right? I, I noticed, and maybe you've noticed this as well. I noticed this about the disciples. Before the resurrection, have you ever noticed what their life was like? I mean, think about it. Before the resurrection, they were afraid. Often, they were confused, like, what, Jesus, what are you doing? And they were happy, but it was never long-lasting. Like Lazarus would raise, and they'd be, ooh, that's awesome. But then they'd be confused again, or they'd be afraid again. And I thought, you know what? That's the way a lot of us as Christ followers are, right? We're happy when we get a job, or we're happy when God does something, or we're happy when we come to church. But, but then we lose it, right? We get a flat tire, or the doctor gives us bad news, or we lose our job. But after the resurrection, the disciples were completely changed. After the resurrection, they were never confused, and they were never afraid, and they were always happy. I mean, after the resurrection, it says they got arrested by the religious leaders, and they were beaten, and then they were released. And here's what the scripture says in the book of Acts. As they were walking away, they were celebrating in happiness and joy because they were considered worthy enough to suffer for Christ. And I thought, I want, I, if the, I want that. See, my, my, I, I wonder, do, do you have that? I mean, is it real? I mean, do you have real joy? Is your joy different from those in, 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 the, in the world who say they don't believe in a God? I mean, do you have a real peace? I'm not talking about joy while the singing's going on. Or why you're hearing somebody, in, I mean real happiness, real joy. The other thing I noticed is that there seems to be a lot of people in this world that say they're Christ followers, say they're Christians, especially on television, right? You hear celebrities and you hear sports figures, they'll either thank God or pray to God or, you know, they'll talk about God in some way. And I don't know, I don't know whether they are or they are not as an individual, that's not my, it's not my responsibility. But here's what I do know. As our world is going crazy, I mean, I, I, people are addicted, people are hurt, people are broken, people are struggling, poverty continues to grow, evilness, it seems to be in North Korea, in the Middle East, in the streets of our cities. I mean, and the scripture teaches that as Christ followers, that wouldn't be the case. So I have to ask the question, why? If there are so many of us who call us Christ followers, then wh why is that? Our world's not changing. Our communities, our families, I mean, they're not changing. We build churches and, and people come and all these things happen. The church in the United States is actually even uh, growing, I read this week. And yet, why? And I thought, you know what? It's like a flashlight. L let me show you what I mean. They're going to turn the lights off, all right? Right, they're off. Now let me turn this on. All right, go ahead and turn the lights back on. Okay. All right, that's our problem. Flashlights work better with batteries. You can just whistle or something, all right? Put the batteries in right. All right, now I'll turn it off again. I think this time we're good. Wow, look at those beautiful people there in the balcony. All right. All right, yeah. Now, ooh, okay. 
You can turn the light back on, all right? Now, here's, here's kind of what I thought, is that as Christ followers, we're kind of like a flashlight without batteries. And in other words, we proclaim that we can bring light, but then when darkness comes, when the doctor comes in, he says, hey, here's what we found. Or our job is lost, or our tires are flat. I mean, when difficulties come into our lives, we respond just like everybody else. We're just as discouraged, we're just as depressed, we're just as unhappy. It's like we don't have any power. It's like we don't have any batteries. And, I, and my question is this, is this, is this all there is? I mean, is that okay? Is it okay that, that we don't have any more joy than those who say they don't believe there's a God? There's got to be more. Or oh, this all seems to be a just tremendous waste of time. I want us to look at a scripture in Matthew. It's Jesus. It's the Lord's Prayer, as it's often referred to. Look at what Jesus prays. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your, what's the next word? Your kingdom. What's that mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we, uh, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does it mean? his kingdom. This word is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's mentioned more than almost anything else. The kingdom of God. What does it mean? So I spent some time this week. I said, I, I want to know what it is because it talks about entering into it. I think it is the key to the power, the batteries that will actually allow our light to shine in darkness, that we can have real happiness and real joy and real peace and real marriages. What does it mean? Well, come to find out, the word kingdom actually means God's authority. So if you, if you look back, it would be your, what is, what is Jesus praying for? Your authority to come. The kingdom of God is the authority of God. You, you could say in our series that it means to be marked, or, or I guess this is my question, what does it mean to be marked by his kingdom? What does it mean to be tattooed by his authority? Not an outside on the skin tattoo, but, what, but what, what's the expression of a tattooed heart, basically, is what I'm saying. What does it mean to be tattooed by God's kingdom or God's authority? So I just want us to look at some kingdom tattoos. And, and, and I want us to look at a story that happens in all the Gospels. That doesn't happen very often. This one, we're going to read from Mark chapter 6. So if you got your Bible or your app or however you read the Bible, go to Mark chapter 6. It's uh, not in your outline, but I'm sure they'll put it up on the screen. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in um, verse 30, all right? Mark 6, 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest. Even Jesus needed rest. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and the apostles, they didn't even have time to eat. So they left by the boat. They left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But so many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion. And listen, this almost sounds he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were a flashlight without batteries. Look, 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 look what he says. They had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. You might underline that if you have your Bible. Send the crowds away so that they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, and what did Jesus say to them? What, what? It is in your outline. What did Jesus tell them to do? You feed them. Here, here's the first thing I challenge you to write down. To be tattooed by God's kingdom, to be tattooed by God's authority, is to embrace the responsibility. You might underline that, the responsibility to help people, to embrace. It's not just to know, but to actually embrace the responsibility to help people. Now, look at what's happening here. The disciples look out and they say, hey, there's some hurting people here. These folks are hungry. And what does he say? You need to send them away. <laughs> we need to pray for them and send them away. You ever feel like that? 
The church is good at doing that. Even as Christ followers, we're good at doing that. But to be marked by his authority means that we don't know. We embrace the responsibility that we have to help people. Jesus said, you feed them. We're not sending them away. You feed them. Who is you? Well, it is you, the Christ follower, if you're here and you say that you're a Christian, he's talking to you, and then he's talking to you gathered together called the church. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to help those who are hurting. That's what Jesus says, you. Now, can I just ask you a question? Do you take that responsibility seriously? You call yourself a Christian, when's the last time you helped somebody? When's the last time you reached into your pocket or reached into your calendar and in some way helped help people? See, Jesus is not the only, this is not the only place in Scripture in which we're given this responsibility. James, who was a leader of the early church, brother of Jesus and pastor of the Jerusalem church, in James chapter 1 and verse 27, he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means what? Caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. He says, you want to know what real church is? It's not how many songs you sing during the worship service. It's what you do with the orphans and the widows. That's what God's really looking at. Is are we embracing as individual Christ followers and as the gathering of his house? Jesus also said, In Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when? (laughs) When? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. Verse 39, again, when? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Don't miss verse 40. And the king, the the one in authority, will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And again, I just ask you, do you take this responsibility seriously? When you see poverty in our community, do you take that responsibility? When you see broken homes in our community, when you see teenagers' uh, addiction, do you take it it seriously? When God says, hey, you, you as an individual, and you gather together as potential church, or are we just like the disciples, send them away? Oh, we'll pray for them, won't we? We'll pray God will give them a job. We'll pray that God will provide manna from heaven in some way, that God might provide a home in some way. You know, things really haven't changed in in 2,000 years, have they? You know, I often feel like the disciples. Here's the question I ask. How with what? How with what? God, I don't have enough money to, to abolish hunger. I don't have enough money to help that guy get into a home. I mean, how with what? You ever ask that? Sometimes we don't embrace the responsibility because we're like, I I don't have the money. I don't have the time. How? With what? Look with me in verse 37. That's exactly. But Jesus said, you feed them. And what's the very next words out of their mouth? With what? With what? They asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. What were they saying? Same thing you and I do. I don't have enough money to do that. I can't give to Temple Centurion. I can't help launch that campus or start that church. I can't be a part of that. I can't help my neighbor. I, I, don't, I just don't have it. I'd love to. I really would. I, I, I just don't have it. You know, I, I think the disciples probably thought to themselves, you know what? They should have brought their lunch. Right? I mean, isn't that, right? isn't that what we do sometimes? You know what? The guy on the side of the road, he could probably get a job. I saw a help wanted sign in the store just down the road. He doesn't want a job. We are always trying to find ways in which to convince God that we're really not responsible. It's their fault. It's their fault that they find themselves in that situation. But remember this, God is not only after meeting the need of that person, he wants to do it through you and me. Why? Because he wants to do something in us as well. 
This is about us also being able to get the batteries, the power, the courage into our lives, the tattoo. See, our greatest temptation is a scarcity mindset. Most of us spend most of our lives thinking we don't have enough. There's not enough. And if I help them, then I won't have enough to do this. How can I send my kids to college and be a part of that? How can I, you know, buy a house and, and, and feed the hungry or, or give to that offering? It's just so easy to send them away with a prayer. It's so easy to applaud a good idea but never reach into our wallet. I remember years ago, not long after Steph and I moved here, we were on Lincoln Road, and we were just walking, and there was a guy. And I don't know what disease he had, but it was horrific. I mean, he was in shorts, he didn't have his shoes on, and his legs were swollen, and I don't know if it was leprosy or diabetes, but I mean, the skin was literally just coming off. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and as I walked by him, I just didn't look at him because it felt like the disciples. He needs help, but how with what? I mean, I, I, do I want to deal with that? And I'm, I walked by, me and Steph, and I got to the cross, next cross street where the red light was. And God just, you know how God does sometimes, just kind of tap in my shoulder. Are you really going to do that? You're really just going to walk by? And I eventually I just got to the point where I couldn't, so I went back, and he's leaning up against a wall. And I just started to talk to him, you know, to find out who he was. And, and then I prayed with him. And then, you know, I reached into to my pocket. And Steph and I didn't have any money. That's why we were walking Lincoln Road, not eating on Lincoln Road, all right? Um, but I, I reached into my pocket, and what we did have, um, I, I gave to him. It wasn't enough to get him into a home or a house. He, he couldn't take what I gave him and go to the doctor. But it was what I had. It was taking that responsibility serious. Now, not only do we have that responsibility as individuals, but when we're generous with our resources, when we're obedient with our tithe, we, the church, also have the opportunity to help. Let's watch. Thank you so much. one story right now is Potential Church. I love this place. You fed half of Broward County. Are just those are just some of the times where we got it right where we didn't have all the answers and maybe not be able to provide all of the need but we did something with what we did have that's embracing that responsibility as a Christ follower and as a church the second um, tattoo is God asked those tattooed by his kingdom his authority to surrender what he has given them 
You might, again, circle that word, surrender what he has given them. See, what is Jesus after here with the disciples and with you and I? Is he after our money? Is he after theirs? I don't believe so. I think he's after us to admit ownership. The question that I have for you is the same question that Jesus asked, is who owns what you have? Because you do have something. You have a home or a car. You have resources just as I do. Look at what Jesus asked of us in the very next verse. Remember in verse 37, he says, you feed them. They say, we can't, we don't have enough money. Verse 38, what does Jesus say? How much do you have? That's pretty, uh, that could be a little offensive, couldn't it? He looks right at them. Look, look, see, our tendency is to say, I don't have enough. I'll pray for you. And we tend to walk away. And it's like Jesus says, whoa, whoa, you need to stop. How much do you have? No, no, no. You see, Jesus does not accept our excuse for not taking responsibility for the hurting. Why? Because everything we have, he's given us, so he knows what I have. He knew that night I had some money down here in my pocket. And he knew that my excuse was because I couldn't heal his body, that I was going to use that as my opportunity to walk past him. And God said, Troy, how much do you have? And who owns what you have? And that's the same question he asked all of us. It's a question he asked us as his gathered body, the church. How much bread do you have, he asked. And he says, go find out. In other words, he says, I'm serious, right? Because our response would tend to be, well, not very much. He says, no, 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 I want to know. Go find out. They came back and they reported. (laughs) They really didn't have very much. How much did they have? Five loaves and two fish. Jesus doesn't accept my excuses. How often when an opportunity to help, when, when you see an opportunity, whether it be to feed the hungry or to help the guy on the side of the road or to launch a campus or to start a church like we're doing in Wellington with Pastor Frank or like we did with Pastor Scott who had 300 people in Minnesota this Easter. How many times when there are those opportunities and we may share them on the screen or you may see them in your community and yet we walk past them with the excuse, I just don't know how. And with what? I think Jesus then asked us the question. You see, Jesus has never asked us to do, this is the way I wrote it down. Jesus doesn't ask what we don't have, but what we do have. He's not asking what you can't do. He's asking what can you do? And we don't want to deal with that, right? Because we want to hang on to our time. And we want to hang on to our resources. And that is what Jesus is concerned about. Because the question is, is who owns what I have? I may only have two fish and five pieces of bread, and there may be 15,000 people who need to be fed, but Jesus is not concerned about that. He's concerned with what I do have, not what I don't have. First Chronicles chapter 29, things haven't changed. David is trying to build the temple. Well, he can't build the temple. God won't let him because he's a warrior, but his, man, his son Solomon's going to. But David has got to raise the money for it. And look at what is said in second, or First Chronicles 29. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything? This is about the offering they've received to build the temple. Or we could think of it as a a church in the New Testament, although it was more than that. Everything we have, listen to what they say. Everything we have comes from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Now let me ask those of you who are Christ followers, do you believe that? Would you agree with them? Would you agree that everything you have has come from God? And everything you give, he is given to you first. Verse 15, they talk about how quick life is. He says, we're here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in a land our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. Gone soon without a trace. And then they say, O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered, all of these resources, our offering that we have put together to build the temple to honor your holy name, look what they say, comes from you. It all belongs to you. And do you agree with that? Do you agree with your home, your car, your marriage, your kids, your bank account, your job, your skills, your gift, that all of those are not yours? You are the steward. Do you, do you agree? Now, because if you do, there are consequences to that agreement. 
because God's not static. He's not setting up in heaven disconnected from me or from you. Look, look, look what he, he goes on in verse 17. He says, I know, God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when our, you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. Do you agree with that? Well, really, you, you can evaluate yourself, can't you? We just received an offering about 10 minutes ago. Did you give joyously and willingly? Did you reach into your, to your, to your, your, your pocket and did it, did it come with joy or was it with resentment? At church, God. I think that's a big question for all of us to answer. Who owns it? See, I, I think the key to this is how we live under his authority so that we can have his power. So that when darkness comes, we can we cannot be overwhelmed with discouragement and depression and, and defeatism. Matthew 6:33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What's that mean? The authority of God. Then all these things, and we're going to talk about that then in a moment, will be added. Here's the third tattoo. Faith in God's kingdom demands action. Now look, Jesus not only asked what we do have. But look at what he asked next. This is interesting. Very next verse, verse 39, then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Now think about this for a moment. How much food did they have when Jesus told the disciples to tell the people to sit down in groups of 50? How much food did they have? Yeah, five loaves and two fish. And they were feeding, scholars tell us, anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people because there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's a lot of people. Can you imagine what they were thinking? 15,000 people, I got five loaves of bread and two fishes. Are these people going to kill us when we tell them that's all we have? I mean, can you imagine how embarrassed they were? What, can you imagine what was going Jesus wants us to do What? Everybody sit down. I know you're hungry. I, I know you could have went into town. You could have brought your lunch, but you didn't. I know, I know. Sit down. We got some fish and chips. Right? Two fish, five chips. Oh, man, that's faith, isn't it? But that's what God challenges us, doesn't he? See, our tendency is to do what? God, you provide the food, then I'll tell them to sit down. Right? God, you act, then I'll, I'll help. But you, but you got, I mean, I'm, well, God, what if I get out here and, and, and it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? What if God doesn't bless me enough to send my kids to school? What if I make a proclamation and it never, oh, God, God, it reminds me, I think it must have felt like the first time that we as a church talked about having 50 campuses reaching 100,000 people with a $150 million budget to impact the world. Doing that from a place, because when we said that, this is the only campus that, that we had, and South Florida is not known for its generosity. This is a place of materialism and selfishness. Now, that may not be you, but that is South Florida. And yet we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go into the most difficult places of New York and New Orleans and Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And we're going to preach a message that has the transformational power. Do you have the money? No, we do not. We got two fish and we got five bread. But we have been promised by the one who has it all. If we will act, he will do the part that we can't do. That's the promise that he makes to us as a church, and it's a promise that he makes to you as a Christ follower. But we have to do what? We have to take that first step. So here, I'm going to challenge you for a moment. Let me challenge you. If you haven't, if you don't take what God asks you to do very seriously, do, do you? I mean, when's the last time you stepped out? When's the last time that you, you stepped out and you were a part of something crazy? that God had asked you to do. You helped feed the hungry. You helped your neighbor. You were a part of Temple Centurion or you helped start a church. I mean, you, you really stepped out. When's the last time you did that? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? 
Here's what I mean by that. What does God have to do before you'll trust him with your money? I mean, what's he have to do? Miracle? Is he got to show up at your house at the end of your bed? Wearing a money suit? Or, I mean, what, what, really, what's he got to do? You say that you trust God. You say that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but you have yet to be consistent in your finance, the financial area of your life. And my question is, so what are you waiting for? I mean, you say you're a Christ follower. What is it that God has to do? Have you ever really thought about that? That if God will do this, then I'll believe him. Or do we just continually say, I can't, and we just push it away. Jesus challenges us here, not with what we don't have, but with what we do have. To help a neighbor, to serve, to tithe, to be a part of Temple Centurion. And can I challenge you? I, 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 this is the way I wrote it. Being disobedient in one area to be obedient in another area is not what God's after. In other words, if your neighbor has a need, or let's say we're going to build a church or launch a campus, and you're going to give to that, but then you see your neighbor who is in need, and you take that and you give it to your neighbor, or do it the other way. You're going to help your neighbor, but then you see a church that can help a bunch of neighbors, and you take from your neighbor to give to the church. See, I don't think that's being obedient unless God is directly telling you to do that. See, God brings opportunities to help people into our lives. Why? To see how much we'll trust him. Money is not an issue with him, right? If he can turn two uh, fish into enough to feed 15,000, then he doesn't have a problem with abundance. The problem is whether or not we trust him. And you can, over, you can, you can move money around and never really step out in faith and therefore wonder why you don't have batteries. It's kind of like your kid has to come home for curfew. And, and they make it. They make it by midnight. That's curfew. Of course, they were involved in a hit and run to get there. Do you look at them and say, way to go. You made it by curfew. No, your intention was that they would obey the law and make it by curfew. And I think the same thing is true when God provides opportunities in our lives to help with our resources or with our gifts and our talents it's not to not help over here so that we can help over there. Let me give you the, the last two because these are the exciting ones, all right? If we will trust God in the first part. Look, I want you to see what God is doing. And this is my, this is my heart. This is my heart for us, for you. This is what is, if this is not real, then we're wasting our time. To be kingdom tattooed is to be marked by multiplication. To be kingdom tattooed, to be under the authority of God, is to be marked by multiplication. That should mark our lives. We should be tattooed by multiplication. Look with the same story. We're just going to continue reading in verse 41. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all, circle that, all ate as much, underline it, as they wanted. There's plenty of abundance here, right? They all ate, the wolves who gave, those who couldn't. I mean, they all had more than enough, so much so that 12 baskets were left over. That's abundance. See, you and I have this mindset of scarcity, but God has a mindset of abundance. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come the reason I am here so you, as a Christ follower, can have life and have it abundantly rich and overflowing. That's what he wants for us, or at least that's what his word says, is that you and I can be a flashlight with batteries. And all I'm trying to say is that if that is not true, then why in the world are you in here? There's better things to do with your time and do with your money. The same is true for I want what he says I can have. And he says that I can have everlasting peace, that I can have continual joy, and that he is a God of multiplication, that he will take what I have and he will multiply it until it is enough. The world then can't deny that. That's why when the world looked at what Jesus was doing, they're like, ah. But see, this is nothing new. The wisdom writer in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth 
And with the best part, what is that? First fruits. Not after you've done all you're going to do, you know, after you've went and did this. No, no, with the first part. Honor him with the first part you produce. Verse 10, then, circle that, then. See, how many of us ever get to then? And then you wonder why you're struggling. Have you got to then? Or are you waiting for God to do something to get you to then? And nowhere in Scripture does he say he will do that. It says, then he will, not might, not could, not should, but he will fill your barns with grain. And your vats will, not might, not should, not could, but will overflow, abundant, with good wine. That's the wisdom principle. Well, let's look at what God has to say to a disobedient people. And Malachi, the people of God themselves, Israel, they, God says, you're robbing me. I said, well, God, how in the world are we robbing you? And he tells them, you can read it in verses 8 to 10. He says, you're robbing me with your tithe. You're offering, you're not being generous. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says, bring all, circle that word all, all. That, here's what that means. Partial obedience is disobedience. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? Well, he's going to answer it in the next sentence, so that there will be enough food in my temple. The storehouse is not Aunt Mabel. The storehouse is not the guy on the side of the road with a sign that says, help me. The storehouse is a local church. You say, well, Troy, are we supposed to help the guy on the side of the road? Yes. Anytime God provides an opportunity, anytime God nudges your heart to be generous, he's, at, he's going to give you, if, if we trust him with our faith, then he's going to provide the resources that are needed to help. That's what the scripture teaches in, in 1 Corinthians. But the tithe goes to the local church. If you do, again, do you ever get to this part? Have you ever gotten to this part in your life? Right? I mean, I, I really want to force, not, listen, if it's not potential, find a church. I, this, it's, this, is not, this is not about an offering. Do we want your, of course, we want to change the world. But this is bigger. I want to force you to wrestle with, is what you say you believe real? Or are you just going through the motions? Have you ever gotten to, if you do, do what? are obedient to the local church with your ties and are if you do says the lord of heaven's armies i will open the windows of heaven for you i will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in and then this is what kelvin said last week try it put me to the test god god kind of bows up and says see if i'm not telling you the truth verse 11 your crops will be abundant for i will guard them from insects and disease your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe says the lord of heaven's armies then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight says the lord of heaven's armies now god doesn't say he's going to drop you a check in the mail next week that's that's not what this is about but what God does say is that he will provide an environment in which the gifts he has put inside of you will be able to succeed. That's what he says. He says he will protect your plants. He will bless your land. He will keep the insects away. He's going to go with you in what you're doing to provide a blessing for you. It says he will guard. He will not let fail. He, he will bless. He will take care of your land. Now, the story ends in Mark 6, but it continues in John 6, okay? Because this is in all four Gospels. I'm going to get through this really, really quick. We don't have time to read it, so I encourage you to go read it, all right? In John chapter 6, you get the next part of the story. They cross the river. Jesus is still trying to rest. The people who just had fish and chip day are pretty pumped about getting to Jesus, so they follow him across the river. They get over there. Jesus sees them, and so he's going to teach them. You know what he says to them? He says, I know why you're here. He says, you're here because I fed you last time. You just want to eat. And I, I couldn't help when I read that. I got convicted and I thought, how many times do I find myself at the feet of Jesus only for what I can get? Only for what I can get. Now, uh, please understand, it's not that Jesus didn't want to meet their need. It's that Jesus had something greater for them. And they were being blinded by their need. They were being blinded. They were being blinded by their hunger. They look at him and, and they say, well, Jesus, if you want us to believe, do something miraculous. That's why I asked you a while ago, 
what are you waiting for? I mean, what's he got to do? That's what they asked. Do something. And then they went on. They said, hey, Jesus, do something. Moses in the Old Testament gave our ancestors manna. And I love this part of the scripture. Jesus steps immediately into that argument. And he says, no. <laughs> Read it. He says, no. He says, my father gave you that manna. Do not give credit to a man what only God can do. And I think the reason Jesus stepped into that moment is he wanted to reassure you and I, even in the year 2017, that there is no one man, there is no any man who can get between you and your destiny because everything we get comes from the Father of lights, according to James comes down from God. And that's why Jesus stepped in. He said, don't confuse. Moses didn't do that. My father did. My father did that. Jesus reminds them that provision comes, comes from God. Last thing, to be a kingdom tattooed is to have a real and lasting peace and happiness. And that's, that's my heart. That's as I studied this week. I, I, I just, I want, I want us to be able to turn on the light. I want us to have real happiness. I want us to have real joy. If you read John 6, they're asking for food, and Jesus simply says, it won't satisfy you. I could give everybody here $100. I couldn't give you, but if I had $100, I could give everybody $100. But you know what? You'd go to cracker, I mean, not cracker, you'd go to, to a cheesecake, and it'd be gone, right? I could give you $1,000. I could give you $100,000, and eventually, you'd need more. That's what Jesus says in John 6. He says, you know, you, you want me to feed you, but you, it won't satisfy you. He says, but I will. I'm right here. I'm right here. Everything you need is right here. I am your joy. I am your peace. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you will never hunger again. You will never be thirsty again. I'm right here. How did they respond? Well, look in your outline. In verses 67 and 69, it says, and after this, because he said, you have to, you have to eat of my flesh, you have to drink of my blood, you have, to, you have to live under my authority. A lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus even looked at the 12 and he gave them their chance. Do you guys want to leave as well? Oh, but the 12 left. I wonder if they ever regretted that. It was right there. It was right there and they missed it. Lived the rest of their lives looking for something that in that moment it was right there. Will you do the same? Will you spend your whole life looking for something that God says it's right here? I wrote this in my notes. I'm aware that my teaching for the last year has been challenging. As a result, there have been many who have walked away. There hasn't in the last year been a lot of teachings on how to have a better marriage or seven steps to better parenting or how to handle pain at work. Nothing wrong with these type of teachings. I enjoy it, enjoy them, they're helpful. But I've realized something, that without batteries, you can't turn the light on. That without living under God's authority, you, you can't have a great marriage. Well, I, I can tell you five ways that the scripture says, and they are real principles, but it's not lasting. You leave, and then a week later, you're, you're struggling, and a, and a month later, you're divorced. It, it, it's not lasting. I, I want you, I want you to have the real thing. I'm limited in how to communicate that. But it is what I want. Peter replied to Jesus' question, and I hope it's my reply and yours as well. Master, where would we go? You've been the words of life, eternal life, and we've already committed ourselves. Confident that you are the Holy One of God. It's my prayer that we will help people in need surrender or give what we have, act in faith, therefore experiencing multiplication and real peace and joy. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for everyone who's here. I know 
I don't always know how to say what you put inside my heart. But I pray that we could really have what you say is available. That the world might be amazed and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.